Archiver, The A's in Kansas City, is made possible by a grant from the Missouri Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Hit the street, Jackie Robinson, hit that ball. It went zooming across the left field wall. Yeah, boy. When you think about black Major League Baseball players, those who led the way breaking the color barrier, you think of Jackie Robinson, of course. That's Buddy Johnson and his orchestra in 1949, performing the most famous Jackie Robinson song. It reached number 13 on the charts in 49. Jackie spent part of the 1945 season with the Negro League Kansas City Monarchs before moving on to the Dodger organization. And while we all know the Monarchs' place in baseball history, they won 10 league championships, what you might not know is the role the A's played in integrating blacks into the big leagues. Uh, it, it was at utmost important that we, as a city, were progressive enough to have a team that included everybody. And I think that cities like Boston are still branded in that fashion, that they are um, probably a little racist, you know? And I don't think Kansas City has that tag. The podcast is Archiver, The A's in Kansas City. Episode 3, The A's Lead the Way, me. I'm your host, Sam Zeff. If you're by a computer, you should head over to our website, FountainCityFrequency.com, where you'll see the first team photo of the Kansas City A's in 1955. For the most part, it looks like you'd expect for the time baggy uniforms worn by men who look more like regular guys than professional athletes. But when you look a little closer, there's something different from most teams at the time. There are three black players, Hector Lopez, Harry Suitcase Simpson, and the controversial Vic Power. I talked to Jeff Logan from the Kansas City Baseball Historical Society about why the A's were leaders in integration. They embraced these players simply because they they were good enough and, and probably better than a lot of the other players. And it was about, they, they wanted to win. You know, let's face it. If, if you are not going to integrate the best players into sports, then you're not trying to win. Just how good were the black players on those early A's teams? Let me take you to July 10th, 1956, and the All-Star Game at Griffith Stadium. It's on to Washington now, as the nation's capital plays host to the glamour game of each baseball season. It's the annual All-Star Contest between the top players of each league, and the greats of the game are out of numbers. There's Bertie Tebbets, manager of the challenging Cincinnati Reds, and a pair of catchers, Yogi Berra and Roy Campanella. Representing Kansas City are stars Suitcase Simpson and Vic Power. Simpson obliges an eager group of young autograph hounds. Indeed, Simpson and Power were the only blacks on the American League roster in 1956. The National League, which embraced integration much earlier than the American League, had six black players, including Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. Both A's got into the game. Harry Simpson of the Kansas City Athletics will now bat for Billy Pierce. Simpson has a 304 batting average. He has 61 RBIs. He has 12 home runs. Swings over a very close stance. Friend delivers. There's a swing and a miss for a strike. 
Harry started uh, out in San Diego, played with Cleveland. Now with Kansas City, and since he's switched to glasses, has really found himself. The pitch by friend is a fastball in the outside corner for a strike. Mr. Friend is very deceptive. He really pumps that ball through there. Here's the pitch. Swing, and the pitch is dropped. Bailey makes the throw down to first. So it's a strikeout for Bob Friend on Harry Simpson. That's legendary sports broadcaster Bob Wolf calling the game on the mutual broadcasting system. Power entered the game in the sixth at first base and was one for two. Nick Power steps in with one out on the whole night. Adonelli's pitch. There's a grounder going out to Temple. He backhands the ball, marks it down, picks it up and throws. His throw is wide. And going across first base is Power with an infield hit. The next morning, the Kansas City Times gave Simpson and Power just two paragraphs on a full page of All-Star coverage, not a hint that the A's provided the only two black players on the AL roster. Power played three innings at first base but handled only routine chances, A's beat writer Joe McGuff wrote. Harry Simpson was the only other Kansas City player on the All-Star squad, pitch hit for Billy Pierce in the third, and struck out on three pitches. Now, you really wouldn't expect much more coverage than that in 56, but now, 60 years later, when I found the clip, it felt, well, odd to me. Simpson played for five big league clubs, but that's not why his nickname was Suitcase. He picked that up playing in the Negro Leagues because it was said his shoes were as big as suitcases. Hector Lopez was the third black player on those early Kansas City teams. He grew up in the Panama Canal Zone and played most of his career with the Yankees. I should note here that Latino players made their mark in both the major leagues and Negro leagues. Most early Hispanic players were Cuban. Many historians believe baseball spread quickly on the island when the U.S. occupied it after the Spanish-American War. Also, the number of Hispanic players in the majors began to increase in 1947, the year Jackie broke the color barrier. But back to power and why he was controversial. Big power played here with the Blues. Big power would have gone to the Yankees, but they thought, see, Big Power had a girlfriend who was a mulatta, and he had a, a red convertible, and he'd ride in that convertible with this girl, and she was pretty and her hair was blowing. They thought she was a white girl, and that's one of the reasons Elston Howard was the first black Yankee instead of Big Power. If you recognize any voice in this season of Archiver, you'll know that one. It's Buck O'Neill, who played first base and managed the Monarchs. A little bit more Kansas City baseball history here. Buck mentioned the Blues, which was the top farm team for the Yankees from 1936 until the A's moved to KC in 1955. The Blues played in Kansas City starting in 1902 as a founding member of the American Association. Power was from Puerto Rico, and when he was at home, he played under his real name, Victor Payot. Being from Puerto Rico, he wasn't used to segregation, Jim Crow, the social mores blacks had to endure. Power was talented and flashy. In the 1950s, it was fine for black players to be talented, but flashy? 
could get you in trouble. Vic Power is my favorite. I just love to watch. He made it the greatest play I've ever seen in the history of baseball, from what I've seen in baseball. That's Chuck Dobson, a Kansas City native who played ball at the University of Kansas before signing with the A's in 1966. He watched Power play at Municipal Stadium. Jumped over a park bench, his back turned to the infield, caught the ball like this with his back to the infield, the ball coming out. And he said midair over a park bench, which they used for the bullpen down there. Shouldn't have been there, but it was there. He leaped over that thing and, and, you know, got it. Big power was standing like this, and he take that band, he go, <sighs> he pointed at the pitcher, pointed right at the pitcher, <laughs> pretty and he swing that thing, and then the pitcher's getting ready to bat, and he come back with that bat, and click. There's a story about power in the Roberto Clemente biography by David Moranis. Power, Moranis writes, walks into a segregated restaurant where he's promptly told by the waitress that she didn't serve Negroes. That's fine, Power told her, he didn't eat them. As I think back, and and I grew up watching the A's, grew up going to Municipal Stadium. Johnny Wyatt, pitcher for the uh, for the A's. There yeah. was a time where people believed in Major League Baseball that African Americans weren't equipped for some reason to be a, a starting pitcher, uh, and that seemed to not be the case with the A's. Can't play quarterback either, can they? Right, yeah. 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 I think we found out that's probably not true <laughs> since there's so many great quarterbacks. That's our Kansas City baseball historian, Jeff Logan, again. In 1961, Johnny Wyatt broke in with the A's after getting his start with the Indianapolis Clowns and the Negro Leagues. Wyatt provided one of the most dramatic and toughest moments in the A's history in Kansas City. Bouncer right back, knocked him down on the mound. He can't pick it up. Wyatt is hurt. He's lying down on the mound. That was a smash, a one-hopper right back to John and hit him right in the face. John Wyatt is lying down on the mound. Kansas City trainer Billy Jones is out there. Also the manager, Ed Lopez. Oh, Clinton hit a smash right back at Wyatt on one hop and it hit him right in the face. And they may be going to call for the stretcher here. They are. They're calling for the stretcher. He's on his feet now. I don't know about you, George. That scared the daylights right out of me, boy. I tell you. Wyatt would go on to a very good career pitching for Detroit, New York, and Boston. All teams slow to integrate, by the way. Wyatt would pave the way for starting pitchers from Ferguson Jenkins to Vita Blue to CeCe Sabathia. Jeff Logan says playing in Municipal Stadium meant a lot to black fans. You know, another thing this the Kansas City A's team did, they played at 22nd Brooklyn Municipal Stadium in the heart of the urban core in the inner city, which a, a lot of the people in that area were African-American. And those people were drawn to baseball. Uh, and I, personally, I think the worst thing that ever happened in, in Kansas City sports history is when we built a stadium out in a field on a parking lot in the middle of nowhere. We, we kind of killed that. And I think that's led to a lot of things. We don't have many African-Americans playing baseball now. Uh, people, some of the greatest players in Royals history, Frank White grew up a block from there, and they walked to the stadium, you know? And after a few innings, they let them come in and watch the game. And I think that was uh, important as a community, too. And that part I, I wish was still part of Kansas City. I wish the stadium was still there. Alas, it is not. But it's lovingly remembered by everyone from former players to rock and roll fans. 22nd and Brooklyn Avenue, 
That's our next episode of Archiver, The A's in Kansas City. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodab and Linda Haskins in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible with a grant from the Missouri Humanities Council. Archiver is produced with Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer, and with the Center for Midwestern Studies at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where Diane Moody Burke is director. My thanks to Jeff Logan for sharing his thoughts. There are some cool pics at our website, fountaincityfrequency.com, and make sure to subscribe to Archiver on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver. Thank you.